I want you to turn with me to a very familiar verse, the Gospel according to John, chapter 8. Just going to read two verses there. They'll become the springboard for this message, living free in a fallen world. John chapter 8, just verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We'll use that verse there, verse 32. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Again, as a springboard to this subject of how to live free in a fallen world. Of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden, till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat, sing heavenly muse, that on that secret top of Oreb or of Sinai did inspire that shepherd who first taught the chosen seed in the beginning, how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos. Or if Sion Hill delight thee more in Siloah's brook that flowed fast by the oracle of God, I thence invoke your aid to my adventurous song that with no middle flight intends to soar above the Aeonian mount while it pursues things unattempted yet in prose or rhyme. And chiefly, thou spirit that dost prefer before all temples, the upright, hard and pure, instruct me. For thou knowest, thou from the first was present, and with mighty wings outspread dove-like, sat brooding on the vast abyss, and made it pregnant. What in me is dark, illumine. What is low, raise and support, that to the height of this great argument I may assert the eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. I believe the poet Milton here in the opening lines of Paradise Lost may have coined one of the greatest statements ever in the written word, second only to the Bible. To that height of this great argument I may assert the eternal providence and justify the ways of God to men. That is an engaging statement. Justifying the ways of God to men, to people. We all have questions, we all wonder why, especially why bad things happen to good people. And here Milton was saying that I'm going to attempt, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to justify God, to show that God is always righteous. Everything that he does is righteous. Again, I think it's one of the most engaging statements ever written in probably any language to justify the ways of God to men. In essence, that's what a preacher tries to do, justify the word of God to men, to people. And it has occurred to me, the obvious, but it's become very real to me, more real than ever before, just how fallen this world is. How fallen away it is from the pristine glory of God, the magnificence of God. And you can see it, as Milton wrote, as the Spirit opens your eyes, you can see it in everything. How nature has been affected by sin. How, of course, we have been affected by sin, but you may see it more clearly than others. Some can't seem to see it at all. Last week I was sharing with you on the subject of none dare call it evil. And in my view, things happen in this world that can only be explained by the fact that it's coming from evil. I can't really just push it off to, you know, always having some answer. And we try to figure everything out. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I've always been a thinker. I like to think things through and wonder why and how and all that. But I come to some limitations. I can't explain a lot of things except by one thing that we read from the book of Genesis in the beginning after God made his creation perfect and saw that everything was not only good but that it was very good. Sin entered the world, evil entered into the world and changed the entire landscape. Physically, spiritually, morally, ethically, it's all changed. And because we're born into it, and when we study history, we read about this evil and 
how it's tainted the world. I believe that we get used to it. Sometimes we don't expect anything to be any different. And then, as Milton wrote about, that great shepherd comes into the world long before we were born, and he changes things. Everywhere he goes, he changes things. The dead come back to life. The sick are healed. Those that are afflicted mentally, both with demon possession and other things, are healed, and they're dispossessed of evil, evil spirits, of evil. Everywhere he goes, there's life. I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Of course, some pervert that meaning into material things, but James corrects that by saying, where is your gold and your silver? It's cankered. It's rusted. Most people who have acquired a lot of things just leave them behind. Many things that were dear to people, and I dare say some things that are dear to you, somebody is going to be throwing in a dumpster. Because everything down here, thank God, is temporary. Everything down here is temporary, but still doesn't mitigate the fact that Jesus made a change when he came. I've come that they might have life. And that's the question here today. As the saying goes, and I'll paraphrase, are you really living? That's a statement the world uses, you know. And always they'll show you someone out on their yacht and their boat and whatever they're doing. And some things I have to tell you do appeal to me. Then I realized that, you know, that's not what I was looking for. God showed me this, by the way, just recently. A few things that have been goals of mine for years that as I look at my birth certificate and my watch, I say, well, if you're going to get to it, you better get to it quickly because time is running out. Then I realized some of the things that I wanted, and they weren't the things that most people want, um, were not really, really what I really wanted. It wasn't the object. It wasn't the location to live in or whatever. What I really wanted was peace inside myself. That's what I was looking for. And God showed me. He said, that's not what you were looking for. You know, when you see the picture of this place where you wanted to live or whatever. Uh, the promotion at work, whatever it may be. What everyone is looking for is that sense of peace, serenity inside. I have come that they might have life. But in that, we look at Jesus and he doesn't say, and so I'm going to take you out of the world. Because that would be, well, it would be the way I would write the Bible. A person who receives Christ is instantly taken out of this world and into the next world, and everything's just great. But it's not how it goes. We still live in a fallen world, and the Bible says it has touched everything, including the creation. Everything. I'm looking from here to there, and I'm looking at an abandoned building that at one time was prosperous and productive. And you just see, if the Holy Spirit will just open your eyes, you'll see it everywhere. You'll see the fallen nature, not only of man, but of how the creation, as we read in Romans chapter 8, the creation also suffers because of evil and of sin. So the question then is asked, how do you live free in a fallen world? Well, let me read to you these words first, and I want to answer this question, what is the church? And I'm reading from a sermon, the title of which was The Holy Spirit Through Christ in the Church for the World. Long title from G. Campbell Morgan, who was both a pastor and a Bible expositor. And he wrote these words. What then is the church in the world? It is God's institute of praise, God's institute of prayer, and God's institute of prophecy. The whole church is, first of all, an institute created to praise God. The Christian church exists to reveal God and to utter forth his praise, to make known to men who know him not, that in the presence of the revelation, they may be filled with awe and wonder and amazement. Morgan is answering the question, what is the church? To make God known that God shall be attractive to humanity. Whether we are prepared to accept the declaration or not, the experience abides. And so I want to break apart his statement here and go through just some of these things that he made mention of in his sermon. The church, which again, you understand it's not where we are in this location, it's not this building, it's you. You are the church. What are you? That's another way to phrase this question that I'm asking. What is the church? What is the church? Who are you? Like the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. You're asking Alice, who are you? Who are you? And when you ask the question, when I ask the question, 
What is the church? We are asking, who exactly am I? Who am I? And we, being a people of the book, must define ourselves by the book. This is what God is saying, who you are. This is the church. Morgan says, first of all, it's God's institute of praise. And to that, I am assuming that he's talking about outward praise, perhaps music. It's not explained, but that's my assumption. I remember years ago in the first building that we had as our own, when my wife and I were pioneering what was then called Trinity, we started literally with nothing. I mean, literally with nothing. We had been given, I think it was 50 hymnals, a communion set, and I can't remember beyond that. A little prayer and off we went. Young, both of us, myself being the pastor, very inexperienced, had no idea, honestly, what to do and in most cases, what I was doing. And yet God was gracious. And we prayed, and we prayed God, and we said, God, you know, we need a building, we need a place. We used to go from place to place, renting all the time. Honestly, people didn't know where to find this. We didn't know where we would be next. We were always going from one place to the other. And finally, God delivered us to a building. Anyway, old stone church, and, you know, had some uh, the stained glass windows, some things that I actually prefer. It had no air conditioning. And we opened the windows up in the summertime. It got very, very hot in there. And we would sing, as we do here. It came to pass that there was a man whom my father knew somehow. Now this church was in the Bronx. Our building was in the Bronx. And this was a neighbor, a block or so away. And he told my father, you know, he says, I've never been to your son's church. I don't think he had any plans to go and I'm certain that he never showed up. But every Sunday, he would open up his windows so we could hear our singing. You know, and recently here, your voices are sounding pretty good. So it's definitely miracles are definitely for today. <laughs> I mean, you hear it coming from the heart. I mean, you could stack up an auditorium with all kinds of people shouting and stuff. But, you know, when you can hear the heart of people and it's in unison, unity. And that's been my observation recently as I listened to us. And here's a man who would sit just, he couldn't hear the message. But he could hear the singing, he could hear the piano playing, and we didn't have much more beyond just a stand-up piano and the voices, and we would sing, and he would open up his windows as we opened up our windows just to hear the praise to God. It brought him some type of peace. Our windows are shut, and we have air conditioning, so no one can hear us except we hear ourselves. And let me say something to this here. For those who, after the COVID shutdowns and all this, I mean, Basically, everywhere I go, every business is suffering from what has happened during the shutdowns. And churches are no exception. People just simply never came back. And some, in my view, some have just figured out that, hey, you know what? We could watch it on live stream. We could watch it on television. Uh, and you don't even have to be there when it is because it'll stay up for weeks, months. Or if you decide to keep it, it'll be there forever. You can go anytime you want. You can sit on your couch. You can have your coffee and a bagel, whatever. Okay, fine. I mean, for the Christian, okay, yeah, that's, that's okay. But how do you have fellowship through a television set? Well, you don't. You don't. And with reference to what I'm saying here about the praise of God, if all of you stayed home and were watching me, which did happen during the shutdown, it was myself and two others here, that was it. Because we had to do that. And I didn't do any singing back then. How am I affected by, or you were affected by me, by your amens and by your praise and by your singing as I'm telling you that this is the case here now. Not that it's not been that way in the past. You know, I like to sing and I sing a lot on my own by myself, but it's nice to hear other people singing. You can't get that through a live stream. You say, well, that's not true because we just watch so-and-so's church and the choir and all that, but you're still not getting it. You're not getting it until we come together. So anyway, the church, I agree that the church is an instrument of praise. And then secondly, he said, it's an instrument of prayer. That's a given already to us. My house shall be called the house of prayer. But again, this is something for you to think about. And it's something for you to examine in your own life. How important is prayer to you when prayer is called for? And just listen to me. I've said this recently, but I'm going to say it again. If you truly knew God was going to answer your prayers, whatever they may be. And I'm not talking about out of bounds and the silliness that some people promote. If you really knew, if people really knew that God answered prayer... Prayer meetings would be packed. We may be able to say that prayer meeting may have more attendance than the actual preaching of the word or the song service. Because people know as they pray, they were going to get an answer. 
Now, if you read the biographies, not only of the apostles, obviously Jesus, prophets, but if you read the biographies of great Christians who have gone out through the years and their testimonies have answered to prayer, and these are the books, by the way, that I read early on and review from time to time, that's what encourages me to be able to say to you, as I just did, God will provide. I can't say how he's going to provide. I don't know. And I'll say this again. Am I happy with the price of gas? Well, obviously not. But God's going to provide. Because all of my anger, and not that I have it, but I mean all my frustrations and statements and all this stuff, what good is it doing? Not only is the gas going up, then your blood pressure is going up to boot. Now you go to your doctor and they say, oh, you know what you need? A little medication here. So what good have you done? I'm not advocating not doing anything. I'm just simply saying God will provide for his own. God will provide. And if you knew and you truly believe that God answers prayer, there wouldn't be an empty seat, not only in this place, but any place on the face of the earth, if the people that came truly knew, I'm not saying believe, they truly knew God is going to answer the prayer. If they knew it. Now let me be frank with you, okay? Let's get real. Examine your heart. If you're not sure that that prayer is going to be answered, you'll show up out of duty maybe. That's not good motivation. You go because, as the Apostle John wrote in 1 John, he says, and we know that we have received the petitions because we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And I'm saying to you, maybe it's not you, but I'm saying to you in general, most professing Christians don't believe God is going to answer the prayer. You say, oh, that's not so. It is so. It is so. I always ask people when they ask me, or like, you know, some problem that they have. I said, what do you want me to pray for? They thought it was obvious when they explained the problem. Or I may say to them, well, what's going to happen if I pray? And you pray. I don't know. Well, we have to know. God's church. Jesus said, my church shall be called the house of prayer. And it's not like the worldly religions where you're just uttering words and saying stuff. You're confident, A, God is hearing you. That his eyes are upon the righteous and his ears are opening unto their cry. And he wants to answer you. Again, when your prayers are within the bounds of the scriptures. And even when he says, no, don't pray to me about that anymore. That's a good thing. Because he's saying to you or to me, that's going to lead you down a wrong path. Let's forget about that one there. And then we say, we should be saying in prayer. So at the end of all this, God, your will be done. Because his will is always good. The church, you are an instrument of praise. You, number two, are an instrument of prayer. And then number three, an instrument of prophecy. What Morgan intended was the word of God just going out, not you're a prophet. The church is announcing things to come that we get from the book. It's written in the book. This is how it began. So we look backward. This is how it is. So we read the news or watch the news. And this is how it's going to be. And we must not forget that what we are seeing now in the world is a prelude to Jesus' kingdom, Amen. to Jesus' coming. So what you need to do is you're looking forward at what's going to happen next. What will the price of gas be next week, next month? Who knows? Look further. Jesus is coming. Amen. Look further than that. You, you know, be intelligent and prudent individuals and realize, you know, what changes perhaps we can make as American citizens in our system and voting and whatever. But look further. The signs are everywhere. I go through this so much with you. But it's not because I'm not clever enough to think of something else to say. It's to keep reminding you. We are seeing the signs every single day that we read in the Word. We are seeing our signs. So look further and say, you know, this is all going to end soon. Soon is in God's hands. I don't know what soon is or when it is, but it's going to end soon. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it will be done. But what you need to know, or you need to make up your mind, is this. Will his will be done in your life? I'm intent on having the will of God done in my life, regardless of what he calls me to do. Fourthly, he said the Christian church exists to reveal God and to utter forth his praise. We do that by opening the Bible, examining and studying, and then bringing it forth. Not only the preacher, but yourself in the marketplace, in your homes, wherever you go. You are to utter forth not only praise and prayer, but the prophecy of the Bible, meaning what the Word of God actually says. I like when he said, to make God known to men who know him not. Now some would say, maybe watching today or listening by way of radio, they would say, I know who God is. 
But if it's not defined by Jesus who said, no man at any time has seen God except the Son and to whom the Son reveals him, Jesus said, you don't. Jesus said, I reveal the Father. No man has known the Father but the Son. No man knows the Son but the Father and to whom he will reveal himself. That's what it says. And the church's function is to reveal God as we find him here in the scriptures. And then that in the presence of the revelation they may be filled with awe and wonder and amazement. It's sad to note in this hour in which we live that those who are filled with awe and wonder and amazement at the church is usually the wrong things meaning the types of things that we've all heard, I say, too much of, and doesn't seem like it has any end in the immediate future. Hmm. I don't know that I filled anybody with wonder, amazement, or awe when I lived in the world and sinned against God, brought evil out of my mouth and brought evil out of my deeds, because that's what the world does. But I can tell you, and this happened to me just recently, again. It happens to me ever so often. Someone comes upon my profile, on Facebook that I haven't seen in sometimes 50 years and they friend me and I accept it then they're reviewing it again and they think they got the wrong person and this just happened to me not long ago just a couple weeks ago is this the same Ray Barnett who lived so you know? and I say yeah well I'm not saying that they're in awe they do wonder <laughs> I'm not saying in particular that they're amazed I'm just trying to provoke you I mean I really am I'm trying to provoke you is that what people are impressed when they meet you? They'll say, well, you were raised in church. Okay, that's great. You have an advantage on some of us who weren't raised on the biblical teaching. That means you should know more. But when people meet you, are they filled with the awe of God and the wonder of God and the amazement of God? As you testify, and we heard this earlier this morning, as you testify to the deeds of God, what God has done. See, this is what I set out to do many, many years ago. I didn't want to just read it. I didn't want to hear from other people. I didn't know if it was true. I wanted to see God for myself. Now, over the, all these years, I've watched God come through consistently, one step after the other, and I'm convinced, as Benjamin Franklin said at the Constitutional Convention, he said, sirs, I've lived a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Well, to the media, it doesn't look that way, and they play on your fears, your anxieties, they play on your anger pitting left against right, and right against left, and black against white, and white against black. They play on that. That's how they make money. Amen. Otherwise, it's boring. No one wants to hear about it. The sun rose this morning, and it was a beautiful day. That's just an appetizer, but the real thing is that now we get to the news. And they play on your emotions. Get you all upset before you even begin your day, or end your day. When people meet you, are they filled with awe, with wonder, with amazement? At God now, not at you. At God. Well, I shared my testimony once in Pittsburgh, and it was on the air, and it was an international broadcast. The owner of the station said to me, he said, you know, everywhere you go, you should share your testimony, which I actually haven't shared it in a while. Because, he says, the way you conduct yourself and the way you handle yourself, no one would ever guess that, you know, you came off that background. I considered his words, and I still think that they're true, but that's the point. I'm not taking credit for what has become of my life. I'm giving God the glory. Are giving God the credit by grace alone. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I am what I am by the grace of God. To God be the glory. But you're supposed to go out and reflect God. Like the moon reflects the sun, you're supposed to reflect God in the world. Keep that in mind. To make God known, he said, that God should be attractive to humanity. Now, those who appreciate nature, and I think there's probably everybody here, some appreciate it more than others and the wonders of God. I'm always just really in awe when I see some pictures, you know, just the creation of God. But that's all they see. Nature, that's it. They don't see God operating through the book and the Spirit of God. They don't see God operating in this mess. They only see the mess. And I tell you, I understand that it is a mess. But the stability comes from knowing, knowing that God is ruling in the affairs of men. Without that... And I don't want to keep beating this thing all the time, but I'll say this to you. I have two goals on social media. One is the gospel. The other is to keep in touch with old friends, people I grew up with. Some of them I know since I was 10 years old, whom I would never get to be in touch with without that. If not, and I'm telling you the truth, I'd pull the plug on it. It frustrates me. It aggravates me. It's just a lot of noise to me. Intellectual noise is noise, 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 noise. I'll leave it with that. 
That's not me. I told you that I was looking for peace when I signed on to follow Jesus. I was looking for peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Campbell Morgan said that the church, you, not a denomination. Most of these denominations is organizations run by men. Me, I'm done with them. And that means the independent church, like ourselves, or the non-denominational, they could all just be run by men. I want Jesus. Like the song we sang this morning. Give me Jesus. You can keep the rest if you want. Just give me Jesus. Give me this Jesus here. This miracle-working Jesus. This powerful Jesus. This Jesus who was difficult at times to comprehend and understand. Just give me Jesus. And let him be, as Jesus certainly was, to some degree, attractive to humanity. You know what it says? And I'm paraphrasing. The intellectuals, the religious, you know, the bishops and all these people, they didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. He didn't follow their traditions. He didn't genuflect and bow and do all these things that their fathers did and grandfathers did and great-grandfathers did. But when he came along, he says, the common people, that's you and me, the blue-collar people, just the common people heard him gladly. He was a voice of refreshing, something they'd been looking for. They followed him. They crowded him. He couldn't even find the apostles and himself, couldn't find time to eat. And Jesus hasn't changed. So you say, you know, I want to make a difference in the world. Then make God attractive to humanity through your life and see what God is willing to do. Now, my topic is living free in a fallen world. Here's one of my favorite verses, which I say that all the time, from Isaiah 43, 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. In the original Hebrew it says, though the price of gas be out of sight, it will not upset you. Oh, you're saying it's not in the original Hebrew, but I am telling you one thing. The intent is for men to look at God. I'm not happy. Believe me, I'm not happy with a lot of things I see. A lot of things. And gas is not even close to the list of things I'm not happy with. But if I keep myself there, I'll be angry, frustrated, and I'll develop symptoms of the nervous system. My stomach will start hurting and all these things. But when I put my eyes fixed on God and I see in the word, you know, in my mind, I see God saying, I've got this under control. I'm working out a plan. You can't understand it all, son. You can't understand it all, but trust me. And when I do, there's the peace. Which, interestingly, does not change the price of gas. My peace does not change the price of gas. But if my peace is coming from the price of gas, well, you're going to be on a roller coaster. Yay, it's $2. Whoa, it's $6. Let's, you know. That's not Christ. Christ said to follow him. And again, be intelligent, be prudent, do what you can. And we should. But some of our fears, are, <laughs> Mark Twain, he wasn't a Christian, that's for sure. He said this. Now listen, this is wisdom. I mean, he was a smart guy. Atheist, but a smart guy. He said, some of the worst things that ever happened to me, never happened. Now think about that. That's a definition of anxiety. Some of the worst things that ever happened to me, never happened. Because you're projecting so far into the future, even if it's just a few days, and your stomach's upset. I said, what are you upset about? You're talking about something that's three days away. But if you would review your own life, you'll find that most of the things you were concerned about never came to pass. Or when they did come to pass, they weren't as bad as you thought. Or even if it was as bad as you thought because you went into it with a relaxed attitude, you were able to handle it a whole lot better. Some of the worst things that ever happened to me never happened. Words of Mark Twain. God promised Israel, and that's extended to us. Nothing will overtake us. Nothing will overcome us. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's what Jesus said. So these are the things that you do to live free in a fallen world. Number one, you've got to subjugate your flesh. Bring the flesh under control, the control of the spirit. Let me read it to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Everybody's running, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain to win. You're playing to win. I mean, it's a game of life. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things, disciplined. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so. I fight, not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection. 
lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. Subjugation of the flesh. I think I mentioned to you just recently the definition of wisdom, but it's also combined with the definition of knowledge. Knowledge, someone wrote, is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing whether you should say it or not. And we see this a lot in Christianity too. Who knows more of the Bible? Is it Pastor Ray? Is it somebody else who knows more of the Bible? I'll tell you one thing, the one that brags about it certainly don't know much about Christ. Because Christ doesn't want us to behave like that. Knowledge we read will puff you up. We see this. Mostly I think displayed, or at least sometimes displayed at the pulpit. And it'll puff you up. But love, he says, will build you up. That's what we're supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. You have to subjugate the flesh. Number two, obey the word. I'm glad that you read it. How many of you are reading through your Bible this year? Cover to cover. Okay, that's great. That's the majority here. That's really great. Again, most Christians have never read the Bible cover to cover. They could be 50 years in the Lord, have never read it from Genesis to Revelation chapter 22. You're above average. But as good as that is, the real question is this, how much of it do you actually obey? That's where the tough part comes in. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. Samuel, excuse me, Saul was given instruction, King Saul, by Samuel, what he should do. And he comes back claiming that he did it. But he didn't. He didn't follow all the instructions. And so Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken, to listen, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That was a high price to pay for a little compromise, which later on he will admit he feared the voice of the people. This was King Saul's main flaw. He had a fear of people. He wanted to be, well, he actually didn't want to be the king. He was chosen. And when he became the king, he had this kind of a, you know, what are people going to think if I do this? And so he's compromised. Because Samuel said to him, what's the bleating of the sheep? He said, you're supposed to kill everything. And he said, I did. He said, what's this noise of sheep I hear? Oh, we just saved the best for the Lord. And this is a great lesson. There is no such thing with God as religious compensation. In other words, you do this something that's wrong, and you're going to rectify it by doing something that's good. And then it balances out. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can think of sin as a nail in the door. And you pull the nail out, there's still a mark, and it's there. It's covered in the blood when you confess it and turn from it. But God doesn't deal in religious compensation. When God says, do this, we say, well, you know what? Let me just change it. Let me just do it a little bit differently. Just a little bit differently. And God says, that's not what I want. You see, because God, again, he has a plan for the whole universe. And we take a misstep. It puts things out of sync. God says, no, no. I don't want it done that way. I want it done this way. I want it done my way. Look it. I mentioned to you earlier about crowds. We have big churches, small churches, medium-sized churches. We have churches of all types. But really, do you think God is impressed? Is he impressed with the plans of men that draws a crowd but has to compromise the book in order to do it? Don't mention the hard sayings of Jesus. Don't talk about the cross. Don't talk about holiness and sanctification. You go through all this. I have a lot of experience in the ministry, a long, long time. I've heard everything. And I'm telling you that for me, if you want to know where I'm at, I just want Jesus. Amen. The Jesus of the book with the easy sayings and the good sayings and the hard sayings. I want the Jesus of the book. The rest, you can keep it. Well, not you, but somebody can keep it. God is not impressed. We may be, but God is not impressed. Nothing impresses God. We may say, with one exception, faith. Woman, great is thy faith. Do people say that about you? Does God brag about you the way he bragged about Job? You may say, I don't want him to brag about me the way he bragged about Job. <laughs> and I would agree with that. I just got finished reading it. Well, I'm just almost finished reading the book of Job. And I said, God, you know... Let's just leave it alone. Don't, don't, no need to brag on me. Enough problems. Just, uh, you know, just, I appreciate the compliment. Just you know, don't brag on me to Satan. Even though we have to acknowledge his life was twice as blessed at the end. And that obedience to God during that period there, that was very, very difficult. Anyway, 
Obedience to the word. It's not what we read, it's what we do. It's not what we sing, it's what we do. It's not what we say we're going to do. It's what we actually do that makes a difference with God. And I mentioned about crowds because I'm finding, I thought this the other day, this came into me about living free in a fallen world. So I got to this thought. It seems to me as I get older that the narrow way is getting more narrow. I don't know if that's your experience, but it just seems like, you know, I was walking sideways to begin with, and now it feels like the walls are getting tighter. But that's what the application of the cross does to your life. As I mentioned earlier when we prayed that God starts pointing out things you didn't see, because they weren't big things. Now the big things, they're kind of easy to see, the big sins, you know? But it's difficult to see the little ones, those little foxes. You know, imagine if you had a placard, you know, one in the front, one in the back, I am a Christian, look at me. I am a Christian, and you come look at me and you'll see God. Now none of us are gonna say that, and I'm not gonna say that either, but the book, says it. I told you last week, the honest truth, I don't want to be like Jesus. Well, I mean, in some ways, I don't want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus when he walked on water. I want to be Jesus when he was years of popularity. I want to be like Jesus when he, all his friends are there. I don't want to be Jesus on the cross. All his friends deserted him. People were saying, Peter, I don't know him. I never knew him. And all this, that's what we don't want to be associated with. But you take Jesus, you take all of them. Those are the things that we don't want. But when you take Jesus, you take them all. You take them all. So obedience to the word. Subjugation of the flesh. Thirdly, be content. Let me read this to you. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he's proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof comes envy, strife, railing, evil thoughts, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. This again is speaking of the church. Supposing that money gain, you know, more money you have is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. As I mentioned to you earlier, it's a sad truth, but it's still the truth. A lot of the things that you've accumulated over the years that mean something to you, and rightfully so, somebody else is going to say, this is a piece of junk. I'm just going to throw it out. I'm going to be labeling things for my family. I hope I can get to it. I say, don't throw that out. If you want to sell it, sell it. But basically, that's how it's going to go. Now, look, I've been around a long time, been in the ministry a long time, and you get calls, you want this, whatever, and books and whatever, and that's how it's going to end. Don't hold on to them too tightly. You're not taking them with you. Nothing that you have right now. And yet, some men preach as though that's the case. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, let us be there with content. Honestly, that doesn't much sound like what we know now as the American dream. You got food and clothing? Yeah, that'd be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not evil, it's the love of it. Yes. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Again, that's speaking to the church, not outside the church. It's speaking to the church, which again, we hear so much of it today. I never listen. I stop listening. Once in a while, I got to look somebody up because they're new on the scene to see what they're about. But it's the same thing. It's just the same old thing. It's a new face, new personality. Be content. Now, don't say anything out loud, but really, did you come in here today? Are you like content? Because my view is this, and what I see is this house, medium house, has got to become the bigger house. And then there's a house here. I mean, years ago, one of the sisters in the church asked me for prayer because she wanted to buy a second home somewhere. I thought it was in New Jersey because she wanted to make it a ministry. Now, me, in my kind of inimitable honesty, I said, really, you want me to pray so you can get a second home because you want it for ministry? Why don't you just say, I want a second home so I can have vacation and occasionally have Christians over? So under the guise of ministry, which was to make me, you know, start praying, it was a false pretense. She wanted a second home. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a second home. Some of you have second homes. I'm just simply saying, at what point can you say, I'm content? At what point can you say, you know, I got food, I got clothing, in my case, God's been good to me. I have many things I never even asked for. Just God said, here, and here, and here. And I'm very grateful for that. But if I can have the peace of Christ inside me flowing like a river, that's really what I've always wanted. Now, the book tells us 
In Proverbs, it tells us, Lord, don't make me too rich so I'll forget your name. And don't make me too poor that I'll steal and sin against you. But daily bread, to be content. To be content is how we live free in a fallen world. If you can get a promotion at work and make more money, by all means, get it. If you can obtain more money, by all means, do it. But don't sell your soul to do it. Wesley, I believe, was the one who said concerning money, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Inside every church, there's enough money to meet all the needs of the ministry in any given church. But people have some odd habits and some strange thoughts about money. Because the world says, you need this, you need that. And I told you, stock market's gone up, it's gone down. I do have a retirement account. And what happens with my retirement accounts is stocks go up, boof, it blossoms, and then it goes back down. Oh, it's not blossoming. I have not had one moment of anxiety about that. Why is that? Because God will provide. That's, to me, that's just not a catchphrase. God will provide. And if he is going to provide, you can be content. And again, let me just make this clear. That's not don't do an excellent job at work. Because here's the paradox. I found a lot of paradox with God. The book says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might. So you say, oh, I just got a job. I couldn't get a job anyplace. So I got a job as a janitor. And so God says, then you be the best janitor that's ever lived. You know what happens? Now, in one sense, I'm an employer because I've had a volunteer army for many, many years. If you own your own business and you're having a problem with your employees, try getting a bunch of volunteers to do the work. In any case, now somebody sees this and they say, you know what? You may just get promoted because every employer wants a good worker. I have always believed that the Christian should be the best worker on the job, not the one that's always complaining. I've done my share of complaining. I'm not even pretending that I didn't. But you learn. You say, this is, no, this is not good. This is not godly. And you give it your might. You do all that you can. Even sometimes when I'm a guest somewhere, I try to see if there's something I could add something to this group, add something to the people that are around me whom I don't even know. <laughs> Guy came over to me yesterday at the gym and he shook my hand, introduced himself. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. He said to me, he says, did anybody ever tell you that you look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> I said, no. But I wanted to ask him, I said, are you referring to like the neck down or the neck up? Uh, I said, no, uh, Santa Claus, yes. And some other names that are not too complimentary, but um, no, nobody ever did. But you know, hey, that made me feel good that he saw something in me. Um, he added something to me and I don't even know him. And so this is what we want to do. We want to be content with what we have. So we're not having anxiety about these things. I say this to you so much. Don't let these TV sets get you sucked in. They're baiting you. Again, be intelligent. Do your homework. Read books. You want information? Do what I do. Read books. Read original documents. This is what I do. I don't read every author. I don't, certainly don't listen to these guys. And they're sucking me in. They're playing on my emotions. Don't think that I'm not like you. They hit the right topic. All of a sudden, I'm talking to the TV. <laughs> what? How stupid could that be? Don't say something stupid like that. Then I turn on the classical music station and all is well. Don't let them suck you in. Don't let social media suck you in. Glorify God. Give glory to God. Because God will provide. Amen. Be content. Amen. Lastly, let me share this with you. Set your affection on things above. I don't know if anybody has told you this. And if not, then I will be the first. You're going to die. <laughs> You're going to die. If Christ doesn't return for the date that God has on his calendar for you, you are going to die. If you start with that and then you work your way backwards, you can arrange your day, your life, your goals with all of that in mind. I'm going to die. So how much does it, again, I accumulate, even if I accumulate things, I'm not saying anything bad about my own family, but basically you're going to fight over, you know, who gets what. Well, you know, I mean, that's how it goes and I've seen it enough. I've watched family fight over antiques, split up the family over an argument, and they don't talk to each other for the rest of the... You know, but, you know, come on. This is for them. This is not for the Christian. This is not for you. You should be able to know that, okay, these things are good. I have things that I really enjoy, you know, material things that I enjoy, some things that are very precious to me, but I still remember that I'm going to die. 
And someone's going to come along and not appreciate what I did, not have the affection towards things that I did. So I set my affections on things above. I go to bed thinking about this. I get up in the morning thinking about this. And when you do, you're rising above all this down here. Let me read it to you. Colossians chapter 3, finishing with this. If ye then be risen with Christ, now we know that he's above, right? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's what the book says. It says here that we are to set our heart on things above, on the kingdom to come, on Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. When that's your goal, I mean, that's your ultimate goal, then everything that you do is lined up with that. And I have experienced in my own life, once again, I'm mentioning this, God has been so good to me that he just handed me material things that I never even asked for because God is good. I have watched people seek after things they can't get, and I received things that I didn't ask for because God is good. If you set your affections on things above and you set your affections on the Lord, it says in Psalms that he'll give you the desires of your heart. This is how you live free in the fallen world, and basically it all boils down to one thing. You don't live like everybody else. Now, if you want to intelligently speak into a conversation that you're in, that's good, I do that. But if I start to see well, this is just going to get me unnerved, it's going to make me frustrated and angry because someone's pulled me into the vortex of their own dissatisfaction with this life, I'm not there. Pretty soon I'm just saying, hey, you know what? It's nice talking to you. I'm gone. I'm just going. Sometimes I tease. Well, you know that. I have a couple of friends of mine and we'd just be talking. I say, you know what? I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm done. But it's not like because he upset me. I just make it as a joke. I said, you know what? I don't want to talk to you anymore. So see you later. But sometimes you actually have to do that when I, again, I'm not serious when I say that, they know that. But sometimes you have to get away from the toxicity of other people. You know, some people that just, they will suck the life out of you. Huh. Just beware of toxic people. Remember the old phrase saying, it's better to be alone than in bad company. Because bad company will corrupt your good manners. That's in the book too. Not that you want to be alone or a loner. But you don't want to have people sucking the life out of you with their toxicity. I'm going to give you a little secret here that I do, and you can use it in your life too. Whenever I'm trying to help somebody, I always remind myself, it's their problem. They say, oh, pastor, how can you say that? Well, it's pretty easy. Watch. It's their problem. <laughs> Just that easy. Watch that one more time. It's their problem. Don't you care about people? Yeah, of course. That's why I ask for people to solicit prayer or advice or whatever. But especially in my business, you start taking on all these things, and now you're depressed. And there's no value in that. It's like catching leprosy. Jesus didn't catch leprosy. He healed it. Some people never came to Jesus, and they didn't want his healing, I guess, or didn't believe in it, whatever the case may be. I'm just simply saying unplug yourself from toxicity when you know you're getting too much of it. Set your affections on things above. You'll be lighter in your step. You won't have the concerns that so many other people have, but you will have the wisdom that many people don't have. Remember the children of Issachar? They knew the season. They knew the times they were in, and they knew what to do. But they were spiritual. The spiritual man is above. He's got his affections, her affections, set above, but he knows what to do down here too. But he also knows what not to get involved in. Knows what to stay away from. To steal the peace and the joy. It's just a little primer here that I gave you on how to live free in the fallen world. The world is not going to change until Christ comes back. Amen. It's not going to change until Christ comes back. Evil entered the world a long time ago, and it's going to stay with us until Christ casts Satan into the lake of fire for good. Until then, we've got to take the freedom that Christ offers us and live with that. Let me say one thing in closing about the need for the Holy Spirit. I've been in the Pentecostal church now for many, many decades. Here's something that could help you. Somebody has once said, if you get too much of the word without the Holy Spirit, you'll dry up. It all becomes just intellectual. If you get too much of the spirit without the word, you'll blow up. And we've had too much of that too. And by the way, you'll be open to delusions. 
I've seen delusional people say, I'm under the aegis of the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. I realized right away what I'm dealing with here is schizophrenia, or in some cases, demon possession. In any case, too much of that, God told me this, voice is going through your head, not good. But too much of this, and you start intellectualizing everything. But if you have the right combination of the word and the spirit, you'll grow up. Too much of the word, you dry up. Too much of the spirit, you'll blow up. The right combination of the spirit of God and the word of God, and you'll grow up to a mature Christian. You'll find how to be free in this fallen world. How about we take God up on his word? Rivers will not overflow you. The fire won't burn you. Let's take God up on his word. Well, you're going to die. So let's start with that and work our way back. For me, at least, when I look at things that way, I say, well, what's the worst that could happen to me in this world when I die? And then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I try to make my goals to line up with that truth. So I want you to just take just a quick, quick minute. That's it. Quick minute. To examine your heart and ask yourself, where really is my treasure? If your confidence is in men, she'll be disappointed, if not devastated. If your confidence is in even the best of economists, well, that doesn't really guarantee peace. But what does? It's Christ in us and his grace. Let peace, the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let it rule in your heart. People are going to do what they do. It's not your problem. Lend a helping hand, but don't let them pull you down. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And you'll be able to find peace in a fallen world and to walk free in a fallen world. So, Father, we come before you today in Jesus' mighty name. We ask you today, Lord, Father God, to help us have the wisdom to know how to accomplish this. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Help us today, God, to apply the little bit here, this little primer on how to live free in the fallen world. And cause your people, God, and cause others who don't know you to come to know you and to find peace, serenity, even a measure of joy in this very crazy and chaotic world. Father, we just bless you and praise you for your word and all that we have. We have a lot more sometimes than we really think and than we don't think about this. Help us to be able to have some words to say to somebody, you know, encouraging words, whatever it is, and have the shine put back on us as we go back into a dark world. And as we go, we go as the lights of Christ. Help us to accomplish that because without your grace, it won't be done. We give you all the praise. Give you all the glory. Remind us to love you with all of the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.